Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 49. Genesis 49, we're continuing our course, our study in the book of Genesis. We've gone, of course, from the very beginning, verse by verse, passage by passage, all the way through the book of Genesis. We've seen the four big events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the, and the division. And then we see in the four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and seeing how all that fits together. We're in a, a powerful section right at the, the very end because we're seeing the blessings, and if you want the blessings and the prophecy of Jacob. What Jacob is doing is he's bringing, right before his death, he's bringing in his son. His 12 sons, he brings them before them to basically give them the blessing. But when you talk about the blessing, not only is he just saying, here's how I bless you, but he's actually giving prophecies about them and what their future is going to be. And one of the key principles that we find is this, if we go ahead and go to the next slide, is that our actions, how we live, not only affects our future, but others as well. Not only, and, and I want to say it even this way, how we live right now affects, affects a lot of things. But how we live right now not only affects our future, what's going on, but it's going to affect those who come after us as well. It's just the way it is. You know, we, don't, we do not live in a vacuum. We do not sin in a vacuum. Our lives are not in vacuums. It affects our future and, and, our, and those who come after us. How we live, what we do, uh, what we believe has a bearing on those who come after us. So there's blessings in this section. There's prophecies in this section as well. And so we'll see that. Let me, let me start with a prayer, and then we'll get into our passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for each one that's here. What a fun time we have as we get to come together and sing Christmas songs and, and just so wonderful to think about the birth of our Savior. Lord, we realize that even, even the prophecies given in Genesis 49 uh, actually affect and have a part of, of Jesus and the birth of our Savior and just so amazing. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which is perfect. Lord, we realize that in your grace and mercy, you have given to us a written revelation. Um, giving us information all the way from the beginning of creation all the way to the end and to the eternal state. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We just ask you that as we look tonight at what Jacob says, especially, Lord, to his first four sons, uh, that how that all ties together and how we can make application even in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming together with fellow believers. And most of all, thank you for Jesus' words. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Gary Smalley has a book called The Blessing, and it's very helpful to a lot of people. He states that most people are looking for approval from their parents, and that's really true. I mean, you go through life, and he says this. He says, from, from our parents, everyone not only expects but desires blessing and approval. All of you in this room, you, you think back about your, your folks or even now, you think, you know, I, I always wanted my dad to just say, good job. Or you always say, I always wanted my mom to say, that was great. Or I, we wanted to feel like that they approved of us and we were okay. We need to hear that from them. Many people struggle in relationships with their parents because some have never, never, as Smalley says, they've never received the blessing from their folks. And they, they need to come to grips with their relationship with their parents. Oftentimes, parents never realize the impact they have on their kids. And you think about it, and, and uh, are you still waiting? Are you still waiting? If you're older, are you still waiting for some blessing from your parents? I've had people come in my office, 45-year-old man come in my office. He's still wanting his dad to say to him, you did good. I've told you about the track guy that I coached at Mississippi State that his daddy went to every track meet, but he never got approval from his dad. Every time he ran, his daddy would say, well, you could have just done a little faster if you hadn't knocked over that hurdle, if you hadn't done this. Never did his dad say, I am so proud of you. I'm going to tell you this. You know, I get to the door. I, I, this is really personal. I get to the door and on Sunday on Sunday morning, so people go by, and, and I love all these people. I love them, I love, especially college students. I love them, and, and as they come by, I, I actually tell them, I love you. I love you, and I do. I do love them. I've had some of them say to me, 
that I'm the only person that's ever told them that they love them. Now that's amazing, is it not? We need to know that people love us and care for us. And so in this whole idea of blessing, there's still people saying, um, I know my mother and daddy love me, they just never told me. Right? They just never told me. How important is the blessing? This evening we're going to see Jacob giving the blessing to his 12 sons. And he's, he's about to die. He calls them in and he gives them his remarks. And we call it his prophetic remarks. Because he's telling them what the things will come. As he says, the things that will befall them in the days to come. As we see this passage, we see, I think, one of the key truths from the Word of God. And that is how we live. How, how these guys lived affected their offspring in the future. How we live is, is leaving a legacy and how we're touching our kids' lives and our, and our people around us is going to go on even into the future. And we're going to see that, that in this there were some sons, uh, there were really only two sons that got good blessings out of this whole thing. You think, good gracious, alive. And, and, and so what was going on and what happens? And we're going to see that Jacob makes the statements that he makes about his sons, how they lived, and what will come to pass. And these are prophecies that actually came to pass. We'll see them as we go through and we'll see what happened and, and all of that. Let's think about where we are in the study. It's Jacob's final days, three things that we've been seeing. We've seen, first of all, he made Joseph promise to bury him in Canaan. Remember he said, I'm going to die. I don't want to be buried here. I want to be buried in the cave of Machpelah where Abraham and Sarah are and Isaac and Jacob is and where I buried Leah. I want to go back there. And so he's made Joseph promise that. Then last week we saw the blessings of Joseph's two sons. He brought his two sons up there. Joseph did to be blessed by their grandfather, but his grandfather actually says, these are actually my sons. And he gives Joseph a double portion, and we talked about that. And if you have questions, we can't go to that tonight. We can go at it. Finally, we're going to see the blessings of the twelve sons. He pronounces the blessings and the prophecy concerning the future. So there's a lot of things that we're going to see. Alan Ross, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary, a Hebrew professor, he said, the fundamental principle is this, the actions of the individual will affect the lives of his descendants. Think about that. Wow, it's pretty powerful when you think about that. Because a lot of times we say, look, this is just me. And this doesn't affect anybody but me. I do my own thing. I can do what I want to do because it just affects me. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. As we look at this, we're going to see several statements, or several different kinds of statements. First of all, we're going to see what I call sayings and prophecies. There's details with five sons. We're going to see those details. Then there's going to be what I call short sayings, which are statements about the future, and there's no details. So for some of the sons, he'll just say, Naphtali, you're this and this. And you go, what did he mean? Why didn't he go into detail? Well, we don't know. Some of the sons, he goes into a lot of detail. And so we're going to see those things. As we study the passage, we're going to concentrate on the detailed statements dealing with five of the sons, five of the twelve. Uh, in fact, it's going to be the ones that we'll emphasize is Reuben, Levi, Simeon, Judah, and Joseph. Those are the five that he gives most of the details on. We'll see how that ties. Tonight we're going to do, we're going to look at the first four, Reuben, Levi, Simeon, and Judah. That's the first four. Next, next time, not next week, but next time we'll come back in and we're going to put the emphasis on the rest of them and then Joseph. And Joseph will be the, the main emphasis. The goal as we look at these statements by Jacob, we want to see what can we learn from them. You know, the book of Romans says the, the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. So we can look at this and say, what can we learn from this? This passage will help us. And I think it will help us as we think about that our actions, the actions of an individual affects other people, which we don't always think about. And you say, well, I just did something nobody knows. Well, but it affects you. It affects your relationship with God and it affects your relationship with others. My favorite movie of all time is The Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart. 
Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, 1949. I mean, it's just a great movie, right? And But what George Bailey realizes is that his life touches so many other lives. And he didn't realize it. He said, I'm just better off dead. No, let me show you what your life would be, what, what life would be without you. And it, it, everything was changed. And how we live now not only affects us now, but it affects our future as well. As Jacob makes the blessings and the prophecies, what he's doing is really an act of faith because he's trusting God because this is from God and he's giving these prophecies to his sons and, and one day they're going to come to pass and the prophecies are going to be dealing with the, the land and the blessing and the fulfillment of everything that God said. A guy by the name of Ephraim, Ephraim Goldstein said this. He said, Jacob's sons represent the future tribes of the nation of Israel. The future was being spelled out. And it's really true. He's given the future of what's going to happen to these tribes. You know that, that later on under, under Moses, they came out, they conquered the land, and then the land was divided among, the, there's 13, of course, but 12, 12 of them got land, and one of them did not. That was the tribe of Levi. They got cities and things like that. But what we're seeing is, what, is, what does he say about these sons and what's going to happen in the future? Well, let's go through it. Let's see. Let's start at verse 1, uh, Genesis 49, verse 1. Then Jacob son, summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. And so he gathers his sons together. And when he says befall, he's talking about these are what's going to come to pass. These are prophecies concerning the sons. They're statement about what will happen. And it's not just a father saying, uh, you're going to have a great life. He, he says some things that are pretty detailed about some of them. And, and, and some of it is good and some of it is bad. Now, the best that I can picture, and you, you can't tell whether he would bring in one of the sons and they would stand there, and he would put his hand on them, and he would say what he's going to say, and then they'd go out, and the next one come in. We know that we're going to find that uh, Simeon and Levi come in at the same time, at least. It could be that all of them are there. And he reaches up and touches one and says, and then he touches these two, and then he goes this. It could be they're all there, and they all hear this. Who knows? There's just not enough. It does say, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. It gives an indication that maybe they're all there at the same time. Now, that's not going to be very easy because most of the sons don't have a great blessing coming. You know? And so it's going to be pretty hard there. We see in the days to come what we might call it the near and the far, the, the, the future events and then the things that are both near and far. And he gives specific things. Notice what he goes on to say. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Now, the reason I like verse 2 so much is because he, he gives both of his names. He talks to his kids. And think about it. He is called by both names, Jacob and Israel. Remember, Jacob means what? It means deceiver. And what does Israel mean? Prince of God. And so here, here we have him saying... Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, that's me, deceiver, and listen to Israel, prince of God, your father. And, of course, the truth is, even though Jacob is a negative name, there were, lot, there were things that he did as Jacob that weren't negative. And, of course, Israel is a positive name, and, 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 but he's called by both. In fact, he's called by both all throughout the Bible, and he's called by both even in this whole section. After God has already changed his name over and over, he's still called Jacob, and sometimes he's still called Israel. And, and uh, we're going to see that uh, what, what kind of man, of course, and what kind of things that he's going to say. Do uh, you remember that after, after he was called Israel, what was unique about him from that point on? Do you remember? Huh? He had what? 
had a limp. That's exactly right. Because after he wrestled with God and God changed his name for the rest of his life, he had that cane, had that stick, and he walked with a limp because he had to remember this is what God did. This is, this is who he is. Well, let's begin with the first son, and that's Reuben. Now, Reuben is the oldest. And when you think about Reuben, normally the oldest son received three things, which was sort of tied in with the birthright. He got the double portion. Now, the double portion has already been given to who? Joseph. He's already got it. And, and, and Reuben's probably going, I don't, I don't think this is fair. Well, think about it. The priesthood. See, the, the oldest son in the family normally got the double portion, the priesthood, and the blessing. The double portion has already been given to Joseph. The priesthood later will be given to Levi. There's a reason why Levi got it. And then there's to be the blessings, which has the idea of the ruler and the Messiah and all that. That's going to be given to, Ru- to, to Judah. We'll see that. So you, you could stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The oldest guy, Reuben, is supposed to get double portion priesthood and blessing, but somebody else has already got the double portion. Somebody else is going to get the priesthood. Somebody else is going to get the blessing. He's not getting very much. He's getting nothing, right? What happened? Why is all this going to happen? Notice what he says. Look at verse 3. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. Because see, in that, in that, in that um, culture... For the Jewish man, when his firstborn son comes into the world, he's his right-hand man, firstborn son, double portion, priesthood, the blessing. He gets everything. He's his strength. He's saying, that's my son right there. That's my son. He may have five other sons, but this is the firstborn. He says, you are the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. So the firstborn son is supposed to have everything. But look what he says, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. I'm going to stop there for just a second. He says uncontrolled as water. You know the word, the idea, when he says water, when he says uncontrolled as water, because water will just go to wherever, whatever it shapes it. If it's a bowl or on the ground, it'll just follow along to the place of least resistance. It'll, it'll just form whatever it is. If you can put it in a, in a pie-shaped thing, it looks like a pie. If you can put it in a box, it looks like a box. Whatever it is, it's uncontrolled in that sense that it just flows to do whatever. And so he's picturing him as one who has, does not have any control. He says, you're, you're not controlled. Uncontrolled as water. You shall not have the preeminence. Now, I want to just say this. The first son is Reuben, and then Simeon and Levi are next. There's two things concerning both these three boys. One is their areas sexually and anger. They tie together. And, and we're going to see this. Reuben lacked the whole idea of discipline and sexual aspect, and, and the other two are, have their anger comes up and affects them as well. Now, when he talks about Reuben, it says, uh, Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Why? Because you went up to your father's bed. What? Then you defiled it. He went upon my couch. Now, what he's saying is, Reuben, you had sex with one of my wives. That's what he's saying. It, one of the marks of maturity is self-control. Isn't that right? That we're able to control ourselves. He says you're not going to have preeminence because you went on your father's bed. I want you to hold your place there and turn to Genesis 35. Just flip back just a few pages so you can see this. Genesis 35. Look at verse 21. Genesis 35, 21 and 22. If you turn back there, it says that they're traveling. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. So this is Israel. This is Jacob. But watch. It came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. 
Now, it stops right there. It doesn't say anything that he did. It says that Jacob heard that his son, Reuben, had sexual relations with Bilhah. And it says, he heard about it. That's all it says. You know what Reuben could think? I got away with it. I mean, because see, Dad, Dad never came to me and said, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? And so, all we know is that Jacob heard about it. Now, at this point, he says, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. He lost the double portion. He lost the priesthood. He lost the blessing because of his lack of self-control. That's what it boils down to. Truth, we, we are supposed to control ourselves. Foster, who wrote the book, the, Discipline, uh, the, the, the Disciplines of God, that book, he says the disciplined person is the person who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. The key is self-control. And oftentimes, the difference between success and failure, between blessing and loss, is discipline and self-control. Do what you're supposed to do. Reuben was like water, uncontrolled. He lost his position. Think about our lives. Think about our lives. Are you and I self-controlled? Can we, can we control ourselves? Are we disciplined? It's, it's, there's some things that, you know, you could say, well, as far as this is concerned, I'm fine. But when it comes to chocolate, you know, you could say that. You, you know, and a lot of times we say, oh, I'm okay until it comes to pancakes, or I'm okay until it comes to this. Well, the bottom line is we have to control ourselves. You gotta get up when you gotta get up, and you gotta study when you gotta study, and you gotta go to work when you gotta go to work, and you gotta do all kind of things. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be self-control. And so when we look at our lives, we realize that it is so easy to not be self-controlled. It is so easy to do what we're not supposed to do. And we're not alone in the battle because God's given us the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so we can have victory in this. We can walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. We can do that. So are you and am I, are we people under control? Paul says that he buffets his body. He talks about running a race. And he says, I, I run a race according to the rules. I buffet my body less I get off the path, so to speak, and lose my position. And so what we have to do is be self-controlled. Do what we have to do when we're supposed to do it. We can have victory over our lust and our pulls. Sometimes we look at things and we say it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I think it does. And, you know, when, when Reuben thought about what he was doing, and if you said to Reuben, do you think this is a right thing to do? He'd say, no, it's not a right thing to do. It's, but, but it's something I want to do, right? And I'm not sure anybody will ever know. But Jacob knew. And, and you could say, well, he could say, it's not that big a deal. She's not really his wife. I mean, not really, really his wife. I mean, she's actually a slave. That She's a concubine. She's not really the real wife, right? Look what it cost him. Look what it cost him. We don't want to be like Reuben uncontrolled life it's sad but true Reuben loses his position now the next two go together and that's Simeon and Levi look what he says about them Simeon and Levi here they are standing there Simeon and Levi are brothers their swords are implements of violence let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen 
He says they're brothers. They go together. Because of what they did in violence, it says they used their swords. What exactly is they talking about? What does he mean? What did they do? Well, do you remember that when there's, that, that, that there was a man named Shechem, you remember? And Shechem took their sister Dinah and actually raped her. And so we think, well, that's bad. That's a bad deal. Yeah, it's a real bad deal. Shechem came back to them and said, told his dad, said, go see, go see that whole family and tell them, even though I did wrong, I love her. I want to marry her. What? They're not supposed to intermarry with those people. And so they come back and say, my son really loves your daughter. We'd like to get married. You know, we, we want to get married. They, let, let's work it out. Well, Jacob looks at this and goes, I don't know what to think about this. Well, the brothers, the sons, all begin to come up with a plan. And especially these two, Simeon and Levi, they come up with this plan. And they go back and say, um, yeah, we would, we would love to intermarry with you. But we can't intermarry with you because you guys aren't circumcised. I mean, our rules with our God says we have to be circumcised. So if y'all would circumcise yourselves, we'd do it. And we'd give you all our land and stuff and our property, and we'd all intermarry, and it'd just be great. They went back to the town. Shechem and his father went back and said, these people will intermarry with us, and we'll get all their property. But what we have to do is get circumcised. And all the guys went, are you kidding me? No, no, that's what we got to do. And they said, well, okay, it's not that, well, it's a big deal, but maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe we can get over this somehow. And it says on the third day when they were really, really sore, Levi and Simeon came in and killed every one of these men. Look at chapter 34 of Genesis Look at 34, verse 25. That was the story. And look at verse 25 of Genesis 34. I hope you're there. Here's what it says. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brother, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed every man there. And they killed Hamer and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah from Shechem's household and went forth. And, and then they, all the rest of the sons and everybody came and they looted the city. They ignored a biblical truth. You know what the biblical truth is? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So in verse 49, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let not my soul... Enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. He's saying, I don't have any part with this. That wasn't my plan. I never said to my sons, let's trick these people and kill them. It was Simeon and Levi who really wanted to do this, and they did this. And so Jacob says, I'm not connected with that. He says, in their own self-will, they lamed oxen. Verse 7 says, cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And then look at verse 7. Here's the prophecy. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Well, were they? Well, Simeon, if you if you realize that it was near Judah, their, their section was near Judah, and after the captivity, they all got assembled basically into Judah, and the whole southern kingdom was just called Judah. And so we, they kind of got assembled. And then if you remember Levi, when they got ready to come into the land, Levi didn't even get any land. Now, they became the priest, but they were scattered through 48 cities all throughout Israel. So the prophecy was, you'll be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. If you're a Levite, you lived in one of the 48 cities all over Israel. When it was your time to serve, you came to Jerusalem. You stayed there till your service was over. Then you went back to your city. So the prophecies were that you would be scattered, and that's exactly what happened to them. Now, 
the first three brothers uh, had some bad prophecies. So if you're, who's number four on the list? Judah. If you're Judah, what are you thinking? Uh, I, maybe, maybe we could skip me. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, things haven't been going so good so far, right? But Judah, look what happens when we come to Judah. The, the, the two of the brothers, in fact, in all of this, two of the brothers get good prophecies. It's Judah and Joseph. Judah is dealt with first, and Judah stands out. Now, when you think about Judah, we all know that just from what we know from Scripture, that Jesus Christ is from the tribe of what? Judah. And, and so he's the, the prophecy of the Messiah is coming through Judah, and so it's going to be some great things. Now, as you see Judah, there's three things that stand out about him. There's victory, strength, and rule. I'll show you as we go through victory, strength, and rule. Look at verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Okay, that's good. That's a good start, right? Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Now, the very first thing, that's victory. See, victory is when they captured, when you captured an enemy in those days and you got the enemy king, they made him lay on the ground and the conquering king would come up and put his foot like that on top of his neck and say, I'm the champion. He says, your foot will be on the neck of your enemies. It means you're going to have victory. So Judah says, oh, I'm going to have victory. Yeah, victory. And, and uh, think about uh, through this tribe, uh, there's a young boy. What's his name? His name is David. And he goes and defeats Goliath, who's this man who's nine feet, nine inches tall, and he takes a stone, hits him right in the top of the head, just buries in right there. The guy falls down, and David comes over and takes that giant sword and cuts his head off and holds it up. All the Philistines run away. That's a victory right there. And David was great in, as being a great warrior. And, and through, the tribe of Judah will become the great ruler and the one who brings the great victory, the victory over sin and death. You think about that. Then the second thing, there's the idea of strength. He's described as a lion. Look at this. It says, uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you shall have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. As a lion, who dares rouse him up? He, he's got strength. And, and the idea of strength is a lion. He goes after his prey. Nobody wants to bother him. Well, Jesus is, is described in what two ways? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's the lion out of the tribe of Judah. So it's a foreshadow again that coming through Judah is going to be something big, you know, something powerful. And then the third thing is the rule. Look what he says, the rule, the scepter, the rod, the rule of the king. The kingship's going to come through Judah. Look what he goes on to say, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, the scepter, the scepter meant, it was a rod, it was, the scepter is what the king would hold. And it, it was like his staff, and the king had it, and he would walk around and say, this is, this is the king's scepter. And, and we remember in the book of Esther, when Esther wanted to go in before the king, he had a scepter, and if you walked in the presence of the king without being invited, if he didn't put the scepter down and you got to touch the end of it, if he didn't do that, they killed you. So the scepter was what the king carried around. It was symbolic of his authority. And it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That means the kingship shall not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. The idea of Shiloh, Shiloh is really a, a Hebrew word that means peace. What, the Shiloh, there was a town called Shiloh, but he's not saying until he goes to Shiloh. He says until Shiloh comes. It's referring to somebody, and the, the, the Hebrew word from, of Shiloh has the idea of peace. It refers to the king and to the Messiah, the prince of peace, the king of kings, Jesus, the, the Lord of lords. And so he's saying, 
understand that he's going to that, that through Judah comes the Messiah. And as we see it, he is the, I think the next slide, he is Christ. is called the lion out of the tribe of Judah, the king and the Messiah. That's who he is. And you remember when in the, the Gospel of Matthew, it says, where's the one born king of the Jews? And in Luke chapter 1, I have to read this. You don't have to turn there. I, I love this uh, part right here. This is Luke Chapter 1, I, I always love reading it because it's usually at Christmas time we get to read this. But listen to this. This is the angel coming to Mary. Remember in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel came, uh, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy and to a virgin. And it comes in and she's perplexed. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, there's the key. Now watch this. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. David was the king from the tribe of Judah. The prophecy to David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17, was that David's greater son would sit on the throne of Israel. And the angel tells Mary that this son is the one who's going to sit on the throne as the son of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The scepter will not depart from Judah. The tribe of Judah is going to have the king, and Jesus Christ is the king. It's so powerful. The prophecy of the Messiah is coming through the tribe of Judah and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I think the thing that amazes me, and I, and I talked a little bit about it this morning in my Sunday school class, that you realize Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, but Jesus is also the great high priest. He is the king priest. He, it's a foreshadow of Melchizedek from, from Salem in the Old Testament. He was a king priest. Jesus is the king priest. And what's so amazing that as the priest... And Jesus is the great high priest who offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. You realize that Jesus Christ could not go into the temple in Jerusalem when he was on the earth. Now, he'd go into the temple, he could cleanse the temple, but he couldn't go and do what the priest did. He couldn't say, I'm God, and I'm the great high priest, and I can offer sacrifices. Couldn't do it. Because the only people that could do the work in the temple in Jerusalem was from what tribe? Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. He can't do that. He's the priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Levi. And so this is the, the prophecy that he's coming through the tribe of Judah. And look what he goes on to say in verses 11 and 12. He talks about the blessings, the description of the time of blessing under the king Messiah. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's foal to the choice vine. That means, look, he's got everybody's got animals. He's got animals and he ties them up and he washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. Listen, his eyes are dull from wine, his teeth white from milk. All he's saying is, look, there's a whole bunch of blessings when the king is ruling. And there's no doubt that's what's going to happen. When Jesus Christ comes, if you read Isaiah chapters 61 through 66, and you see the prophecies of the kingdom and the reign of the Messiah, there is great blessing. The blessing to Judah that the king, it's the king tribe. I always like to say it, it's the king tribe. The king is going to come from that tribe. The Messiah will ultimately rule the world. Do we recognize that Jesus Christ is the king, the line out of the tribe of Judah, who returns to this earth one day as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who rules in righteousness and justice? It's very powerful. We've seen the first four sons. First one, you're not getting anything. You've lost your blessing, the double portion, and the priesthood because... You had sex with one of my, my wives. The next two boys, 
you're going to get scattered everywhere because you were uncontrolled and you went and you killed people with the sword. Judah, Judah, you okay? Everybody's going to praise you. The name Judah, you know what it means? It means praise. And so you're going to be praised because you're going to be a ruler and a leader and the, and the, the kingdom is going to come through Judah. And there's going to be great, great blessings when the king comes. Well, the next time we look at this, which will be probably after Christmas, but the next time we continue in Genesis, we're going to see the rest of the brothers, rest of the sons, and the emphasis, of course, will be on Joseph. Because Joseph is the key. And we see Joseph, and we see what he does, and how he lived, and what's going to come out of that. So there's a lot of great things. What have we seen? We've seen the details of, of really, uh, four sons. Three of them, they didn't get any blessing. And there's a truth there that how you live now affects now and future. We see, so far we've just seen one of the other two sons that are going to get great blessing. That's Judah and Joseph. And we see what happens there because of what they did. So let me give you some application. The first one is this. Our actions and lifestyle affect others. Affects us and others. How we live not only affects us, but it affects others, even our offspring. We don't live in a vacuum. Robert Haldane said, There are no insignificant sins to a holy God. No actions that don't have effect. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What does it say? Whatever man... Souls, that shall he also reap. The truth is this, that how we live, how we act, what we do, there are always consequences. Did you know that sin has normal consequences? All sin has consequences. The wages of sin is what? Death. The moment you sin, you die. And what do we mean by that? You separation from God in a fellowship way. So as, as Christians, the moment you sin, you die. And we're separated in fellowship. Now, what we do is we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We get back into fellowship. But we don't look at sin like saying, well, I'll do it, and then I'll just confess it. I'll get right back in. That's called presumptuous sin. God says, David wrote in in one of the Psalms, he says, uh, keep me from presumptuous sins. That's what we call intentional sins. We call sins that you know are wrong, and you're planning to do it anyway. You know, sometimes uh, the Bible even had an Old Testament. Sometimes it was called the sins that couldn't help it. You just, you know, something happens. You didn't plan it. It just happens. And you go, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. But I wasn't planning it. It just happened. Well, there are some sins that people plan, that we plan. And we got to realize that, that what we do has consequences and affects us. We saw that negative of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and the positive with Judah. And how are we living now? How are we doing? Because look at your life. And stop and say, am I living in such a way that, that I'm blessing those around me and that the descendants and the things from me is a legacy that's going to be passed on, that's going to be a positive thing? Or am I living in such a way that I'm affecting in a negative way those around me and it's going to affect even my offspring? It's true that... Uh, as those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, our goal is to grow in the grace and knowledge and be men and women of character and, and make an impact for Christ because it's going to affect the around us, our families, and the generations to come. And that's really, really tough, but it's true. Second, realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy to Judah. The ultimate fulfillment to Judah is that the king's going to come through Judah. Well, the king wasn't just David. Now, the first king of Israel was from what tribe? His name was what? Saul. What tribe was he from? Do you know? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. We'd all say, I don't think that's right. Who chose him and put him in place for Israel? Who? God did. 
Yeah, God, they wanted a king, but God gave them the king. Tribe of Benjamin. But the prophecy was what? That the king is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And, of course, there came later David and Solomon and on down. And then eventually the Messiah and the king is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who's going to come a second time and rule in righteousness and justice. But remember this, that he is also the one who blesses. That the prophecy of Jesus and the prophecy to Judah was that it would be great blessing at the time of the king. Well, tell me what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will there be great great blessing? And this kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign, is also called the eternal kingdom because he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and Jesus Christ will rule for all eternity. Will there be great blessing with Jesus Christ as the king? The answer is, of course there will. And that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. There's some great things there. And we've seen that just what Jacob said to his sons came to pass because Jacob is not just an old man telling what he'd like to happen he is giving prophecy from God to his sons it's an amazing thing so when we rest in the security of our rock who is Jesus Christ the almighty the great shepherd of Israel the author and perfecter of our faith the king the messiah the one who gives the victory the one who is the lion out of the tribe of Judah and may we look at how we live now is going to have a bearing on 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 Uh, around us now and in the generations to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these things. And, Lord, when we look at it, it's it's sad for Reuben and Levi and Simeon and what what happened there. It's good for Judah. And, Lord, we want to be men and women that when we stand before you, you say to us, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. That's what we want. We want our lives to count for you. We know it is so easy to be pulled by the flesh and to be controlled by the flesh and to live out and do things we know are wrong. And and we do not want to be uncontrolled like Reuben. We don't want to be people of violence like Simeon and Levi. We want to be godly men and women. We want to stand for you. We want to make an impact for you. And we want to hear you say, well done. Thank you again for each one in our room, Lord. And may we encourage one another. As we see the day approaching, may we encourage one another to stand for truth, to live righteously. May we, may we be there for each other to help each other grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, anybody got questions, comments, anything? Yes, and then we'll get some. Okay, there's an event that's going to happen. I, I didn't talk about it, but there's an event that's going to happen later on in the future that they they began, the nation began to follow after uh, a bell of Peor, a false god, and all the people were having sex and going crazy, and one of the tribe of Levi, one of the guys, took a sword, and he killed some people, and they began to have victory, and they said, because of your stand for it is right, you will be honored and rewarded. And they got the priesthood. So the Levites got the priesthood because of one man beginning to do something. See, see, one person can make a big difference. You say, I'm just one person. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. I mean, I can try to live righteously, be a godly person. It doesn't matter because I'm just not going to affect anything. Yes, you are. 
One person affected the whole tribe of Reuben, and one tri- person affected the whole tribe of Levi. That they ended up with the priesthood. So that's that's an event. We might can look at look at it maybe in, in the future. Did you have something, Andrew? Really? Okay, I mean, I haven't studied everything. I I trust him a lot on most of his notes. They're very, very good. He says, no what? No prophet, judge, or? Came from the tribe of Reuben. It's pretty amazing. When you think about it, because of his actions, um, you might say the whole rest of his descendants were pretty much also rands. You know, they also were here. But they didn't make much of an impact, right? Well, I mean, I think, well, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember because most of the time, especially in the nation of Israel, he, he skips the firstborn and goes to the second one. But, I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, let, me, let me just think through there. I, I don't I, I have to think in more detail. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, Solomon, but if you, it, Solomon uh, was actually not the firstborn, you know, because they already had a child that died after being a year old. You remember that? And then... Uh, and then, of course, Solomon, if, if we say that Solomon was one of the great ones, and he was, and he was the richest man that ever lived, he was the most powerful king that ever lived, he was the wisest man who ever lived, but he ended his life worshiping false gods. That's Solomon, king of Israel. So uh, you can start great and end poorly. You can start poorly and end great, and that's the better way to do. Okay, The key is to start great and end great. Okay, That would be the best thing to do, but it would be good. If you're going to do anything, end great. Don't, don't end badly. And that's what we want to do is we want to try to we want to end great, greatly. Okay. Anything else? Did you have something, Freddie? Huh? No, you're just waving. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for this time, most of all. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, as we think about um, uh, the, the whole Christmas time, uh, we love it, Lord. I, I love Christmas. We love the birth of our Savior. We love telling about it and talking about it and knowing that the one born in Bethlehem indeed is the Savior and the King and the Messiah and, and the most important person who ever came into the world, and that is Jesus of Nazareth, and the one born in Bethlehem, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior. May we get to tell everybody the whole purpose of this special time of the year that we're celebrating the birth of the Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.